0: So this morning we are starting a three-week conversation in uh, the fourth chapter of the New Testament book of Ephesians, and we're simply calling this series Ephesians for Grown-Ups, and that's not because it's an adult-themed series, that's not because it's not kid-friendly in some regard. By the way, 5.6, if you haven't already been dismissed, feel free to be dismissed, not because this is a grown-up series, Um, but because as you look at the the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, it quickly becomes clear that it is an invitation. In fact, it is a picture describing what grown-up Christianity looks like. It it is a chapter that's describing what maturity in Jesus looks like. Now, we all start at the elementary level of faith, but our hope and and desire is that as we start to spend time walking with Jesus, that we will want to move towards grown-up Christianity. We will want to move towards Um, Maturity in Christianity. Now, this is of particular interest to a movement like ours, because here's what we know, that a mature church is a mission church. And we believe that God has called us to be on mission, and even this year as he's opening doors for us to step through and show and share his love to the world, we become even more aware of the fact that it is a maturing church that is a missioning church. It is a church that is growing up that is going to reach out the sort that we can somehow live on a mission but not be living maturely is a grave misunderstanding. I was talking to my nine-year-old daughter uh, a number of weeks ago. I just picked her up from school on the last day of the semester before the Christmas break. And as we were driving home, she was kind of revealing to me um, her near future plans, and they were fascinating to listen to. Uh, So she was telling me in her own funky timeline, she was saying, so today is the last day of school. I'm like, okay, great. Tomorrow is Christmas. I'm like, okay. Um, And um, then after that, uh, the next day, I'm coming back to school. I'm like, huh, okay. And then the day after that, apparently, she said that she was going to um, own her own house. And she would... (laughs) So I was just so amused by this, and I thought, well, let's explore this. This sounds fascinating to me. And I asked her the question. I said, you're going to own a house in four days. Ah, She said, yes. I said, okay, how do you plan to pay for this house? And she said in her own little Haitian swag, "Um, Dad, what do you mean Pay. point it became clear to everyone she is not ready to own a house but I wasn't content I decided let's just keep going down this path and I asked all kinds of befuddling questions about home ownership and what will you do with this and how will you take care of this and she said dad stop okay I'm not going to own a house Um, which was really fun to just demoralize my my daughter (laughs) like that but It's really interesting because I think as a church we often do this, and then tomorrow we're going to be on mission and we're going to change the world. And the question is, yeah, but how mature are you? Uh, What it is, mature? Yeah, you're not ready for the mission. Because if we think that the mission Jesus is calling us to will be sustained without the maturity Jesus calls us to, we are mistaken and we are not grown up enough to sustain the movement to which he, he calls us. And so for us as a movement, the idea of maturity is, is really key <clears throat> because we believe it's what sustains us in the mission. So if you have a copy of, of the Bible, we're going to be again in Ephesians chapter 4, you can turn there. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, we're going to have the verses up here On the screen as well, Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And what Ephesians chapter 4 is going to do is it's going to give us some markers of maturity. And uh, what the markers of maturity are going to do is give us the opportunity to measure, like, how mature are we? How mission ready are we? How mature in Jesus are we? Now, while you're getting settled into Ephesians chapter 4, let me just tell you a little bit about this incredible, glorious book. A, Ephesians is my favorite book um, of the Bible. Just beautiful. Um, Ephesians is uh, six chapters long, and it's made up of two equal halves. Uh, The first half is made up of what theologians call indicatives. Indicatives. Indicatives are... um, Simply statements of fact. Indicatives are merely observations of reality. Indicatives, it, it is what it is, whether you like it or not. Um, the second half of the book of Ephesians is made up of what theologians call imperatives. Um, imperatives are requirements to act. They are commands to do something. Indicatives, it is what it is. Imperatives, you've got to do what you've got to do, whether you like it or not. Now, um, the indicatives are are just a, a beautiful thing in the book of. Ephesians. In fact, if you read the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, something will stand out to you if you're paying attention. And what you notice is for three chapters, there isn't a single command. There is no call to do anything for God in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. It's just this invitation to listen and believe what God sees and what God says is true about you because of what Jesus has done for you, regardless of whether or not you ever do anything for him. Indicatives, this is who you are in Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for you. This is what you have in your spiritual bank account because of Jesus. And it's pretty stacked, by the way. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 describes it this way. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, There isn't a single spiritual resource you could ever need that hasn't already been deposited into your spiritual bank account locked in a vault up in heaven. You have every spiritual resource. If it's Jesus's, it's now yours because of your faith in him. And if you read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, man, it will just have you absolutely reveling in truth after truth. This is what's true about you. Hashtag facts. And you start to read this and you read truth like, like you are so wanted. Ephesians will tell you, you are so Wanted. God wanted you so much that He chose you before the foundation of the earth. God wanted you so much that He pre ordered you before you even came on the market. He wanted you. Do you know how wanted you have to be for God to say, set that one aside for me? And all of a sudden, I start to revel in and believe this is true about me, and I don't need to measure up to your arbitrary standard of being wanted or feeling wanted or measuring up to who's doing what on Instagram and whatnot. You are so wanted. And you continue to read, and it, it describes that, that you, you, you are... S- well, some of you may not understand this reference, but, but it's, it tells you you've, you've got the power. Come on, throw back 90, snap, anybody... Anybody? Thank you. Thank you. Um, That you've got the power. It says the power that raised Jesus from the dead is coursing through your veins. It is at work in you, whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not. That is just true about you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you know how many kilowatts it took to raise Jesus from the dead? I don't either. But I just know that it'll kill or whatever is trying to kill you. And I'm telling you, when you start to embrace some of these truths and you realize, wait a minute. So this helplessness is a lie. That this power that I continue to feel like I can't say no to it. It's too strong for me. No, there are kilowatts on the inside of you that empower you and enable you to resist. You don't have to live in this learned helplessness. And it says, you're too loved. I love the way Ephesians describes the love that he has for us. You are spoiled loved. You will never in your life experience a famine of love. You will never ever experience a shortage of love. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there will never be a deficit of Love. You are loved with a limitless love with no height, with no depth, with no width limit, with no length limit, Ephesians chapter 3. It will never run out. It's higher than your greatest failure. It's deeper than your deepest despair. You can try and run away and the love will come chasing after you. There is a limitless amount of love that has been deposited into your Account. And when you get that, by the way, you stop being desperate for that cheap conditional love that often runs out when people are done with you anyway. For three chapters, this is how Paul goes indicative after indicative. This is true about you in Jesus. Facts after facts. This is your reality. This is what God sees. This is what God says when He looks at you. By the way, we did a a series. in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians as a church a number of years ago, and people struggled with it. Um, And people said to me on a number of occasions, Kondo, people are starting to say Mission Point is getting soft. And I'm like, oh, like good soft or bad soft? Uh, I don't think it was a compliment. And do you know why? It's because you guys have preached and preached and preached for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you're not telling people what to do. you got to give people some commands. you got to tell them to behave themselves. And there was such a stroke, and I'm like, but the first three chapters of Ephesians don't tell us to do anything. They just tell us to revel in what Jesus has already done on our behalf. And I think Paul writes and lays out the book of Ephesians this way because he understands that the people who do the greatest things for Jesus are the people who believe the greatest things Jesus has already done for them. And he knows if you believe what is true about you, child, you are going to start to live out of that. As a church, by the way, you rarely have a behavior problem. It's typically a belief problem. But uh, no, 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 tell them how to behave. No, no, no. If you want to see people's behavior change, reach into their beliefs. Because when my daughters understand, no, you're beautiful, then they'll start acting beautiful. It's when we start to believe these realities that we start to live them out, and I believe that's why Paul lays out this book the way he lays out this book, because indicatives fuel imperatives. Beliefs fuel behaviors. Facts fuel our acts. Okay, now I'm getting carried away, but I like that because it helps me to remember. So, When he gets to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul makes the shift from indicatives to imperatives. And he essentially says, because this is true about you, live like it. Because these facts are true in the heavenly realms, act like it on earth. And here's what he says, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I plead with you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul is saying live like it live like it. If this is what's true about you in Jesus, then live like it. If this is what you have in your spiritual account, then live like it. Again, if these are the facts in heaven, then act like it on earth. And he uses uh, this picturesque phrase to, to live worthy, to live worthy. And um the Ephesians would have understood that, that, that picture. Um, it's a picture that speaks of balance. The idea of worthy is actually um, the idea of balance, and it would have conjured up in the minds of this first century um, group of folks the idea of uh, the scales in, in a marketplace. Scales. Um, And they were familiar with that, that oftentimes the way that you would um, measure the worth of something was by weighing it. And the way you would weigh that thing is by getting scales. And on the one end of the scale, you'd put a known quantity, you'd put a known weight. And then you'd start to put the product on the other end um, until those two weights equaled. Then you would know the weight of this and therefore its worth. And you would know that these two weights equaled when the scale balanced. That's the language Paul is using. It's the language of balance. As a matter of fact, spiritual maturity is about balance. And what Paul is saying is, hey, do you know on account of the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, that God has poured into your spiritual bank account every spiritual resource you could possibly need. He has weighed that side of the scale with every spiritual reality and privilege in the person of Jesus Christ. If that is true, I urge you to live a life that balances that out. If this is true, then that should be true. Balance. If this is what he says is true about you, child, you better live like it. Balance. It is the idea of living out what God has poured in it is the idea of making life withdrawals out of what God has spiritually deposited into your account. And the more mature you are, the more what he has done in you starts to show up on you. It's this idea of balance. If he has spoiled loved you, then you need to stop living like a leech, like as if you need somebody to complete you, otherwise you don't have enough. No, he has loved you with an everlasting love. All of a sudden you're like, "Um, excuse me, baby, I have extra love. So I can now actually love you. The most spiritually mature people in relationships are not the people who are saying, give me, and can you, can you define me, and can you complete me, and, and, and can you give, 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 give. A spiritually mature person is a person who says, I have so much love in my bank account, I have extra for everybody. So therefore, balance will look like I'm going to be a loving person. He has given me immense grace. So excuse me if I'm just the most gracious person around. spiritual maturity is about living balanced in light of what he's done live worthy of that when you start to act the fact you know you are spiritually mature um and then he gives us some specific examples Um, And these are more than just examples. He gives us some spiritual markers um, by which we can measure our maturity. If you've wondered, like, man, I wonder how spiritually mature I am. I wonder how spiritually mature we are as a church. Then then Paul gives us a couple of maturity markers in the next couple of verses. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be completely patient, bearing with one another in love. Because um, how you deal with people, especially people who get on your last nerve, is a measure of your maturity. And when you understand your facts in Jesus, it should show up in the way you act towards people, particularly people you don't enjoy or necessarily value very much. Have you ever thought about this? This was tripping me out as I was processing it through. Like, But have you ever thought about that, that every time God puts someone in your life who makes you crazy. He's giving you a measure of your maturity. He's saying, let's measure your maturity. Because how you treat this person, how you interact with this person, is a measure of maturity. Because you have no idea how spiritually mature you are until you get to deal with someone who drives you to drinking or Someone who you consider relatively unimportant. And some of you are like, I live with a lot of frequent opportunities. <laughs> Lord God. Don't elbow anybody. But you, you know what's up. Um, and he says, this is what maturity looks like. Live humble. Live Humble. Now, I don't entirely know how Kendrick Lamar defines the word humble, but uh, here it's, it's the idea that I don't treat you like I believe I am better than you. I don't treat you like I believe I am better than you. I don't believe I somehow carry more worth or more value than you do. I don't believe I'm lesser than you, but nor do I believe that I am somehow better than you. And therefore, I will not treat you like I'm superior to you. I'm not going to treat you like I am more important than you. I'm not going to treat you like I'm more valuable than you. Now, don't get me wrong. I may be faster than you. I may be stronger than you, yea, verily better looking than you. I may pull rank on you. Um, I may be the parent in the house and whatnot. I may live in a richer country than the country that you live in, but I am not better than you. I think our culture mistakes value for performance, or value for wealth, or value for status. Because what I know is my rank, or my speed, or my wealth gives me no advantage. Over you in the eyes of God. I read the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt it costs the same amount of blood to forgive your sins that it costs to forgive mine. Therefore, I am not better than you. I cannot be better than you. I read how when God chose me and and when God poured grace on me, I was in the orphanage of sin and death with nothing to offer him. Just like you. And then what Paul does with these next words that he uses is he really just starts to tease out the idea of... um, humility. What does live humble mean? What does that look like? And he uses some words to attempt to describe it so that we can get a sense of how we are doing and what we are called to. And he says, live gentle, right? Be completely humble and gentle. Live gentle. Uh, gentleness and meekness is Those terms are are pretty synonymous. But gentleness or meekness, that's how humility expresses itself towards people. How do I talk to a person if I don't believe I'm superior to them? Gently. How do I treat a person... If I don't believe, I am more valuable than they are, meekly. I will speak with respect. I will speak with a tempered tone. If I'm spiritually mature, that is, I won't be condescending. I won't talk down to this person. Meekness, um, gentleness, it's the idea of passion under control, which is so helpful because it means that gentleness is most greatly demonstrated when I feel most strongly about something. It's in the moment when I feel passion or I feel, you know, man, amped about something that maturity reminds me, you are not better than this person. So still speak to them with gentleness. I'm not going to bull them over. I'm not going to throw my weight around. I'm not going to be verbally aggressive or attacking or overpowering. Maturity means I'm going to be gentle. I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to push you. I love Jesus with all of his authority and all of his power spoke to me with tenderness even in my sin. And he came after me. He didn't come at me. He came after me. I've been treated with tenderness. That's what's been placed on the scale. And if I'm going to live spiritually mature, then that's how I'm going to start to, to treat other. People. And he says, Live patient. Live patient. Patience is just another symptom of humility. I'm no better than you. So I will not demand that you live up to my standard or live at my pace. I won't demand that you live up to my standard or live. At my pace. The minute I start to do that, I assume I'm better than you. My standard is higher than your standard, better than your standard, and therefore my pace is the pace everybody else should be keeping up with. No. Patience says you are as worth waiting for as I am. My time is not more valuable than your time, so I'm not going to rush you. My process is not more important than your process, so I won't demand that you get it right or change at my pace the way I define getting it right. These kids, man, b- by, now they, by now they what? And you know what's so fascinating is anytime you ask a parent, like, how are you at their age? Well, that's a different story. I want my kids to do better than I did. Um, But I'm not the standard, so I don't need you to live up to my expectations. I'm not going to be personally agitated because you aren't doing things the way I like or at the pace I like. Well, I may feel agitated, but I'm not going to impose that agitation on you. I'm going to be patient. Now, in a professional context, there are deadlines. Like there is just an organizational pace and cadence. And there are things that need to be done for sure. But it's not that I personally feel like I'm more important than you and therefore you have to live at my pace. Maturity means I'm not going to rush you for my personal sake. Um, here's, here's the simplest way because again I think it, it helps for us to, to look at these markers and to be able to measure them in our own life. And here's one of the simplest ways to think about what Paul is saying. Paul is pretty much saying, live home humble. Live home humble. That's the simplest way to measure how you're doing, is to ask the question, are you home humble? Are you home gentle? Are you home patient? Paul uses a very interesting phrase. Did you notice it? He says, um, be completely humble. Now, you might read that and think Paul is saying, be perfect in your humility. Um, Or you may read that and think Paul is saying, be constantly humble and constantly patient. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, be perfectly humble. He is saying, be consistently humble. Oh, that is such a helpful phrase. Be consistently humble. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. We are all humble. And we are all patient. And we are all gentle. Every single one of us. Our problem is that we tend to be contextually humble. Not consistently humble. We are all contextually humble. Oh, man, this is a trip to me. I am the VP in this organization. You are the admin. I don't have to say, please. You get my copy right now. Do you understand me? And then the the, the CEO walks in. Hello, sir. We are so honored by your presence here today. How may we serve you? Huh? Huh? What just happened here? Well, contextually, I felt better than this person. But not as good as this person. And so my humble was reserved for this person and not this person. I'm sorry. The customer is always right. I said, get me a refill. And here's the owner of the restaurant. Well, okay, see, (laughs) we were just asking if we could have a little more. Like, you've got it in you. We are just inconsistent in our humility. And so to the manager of the team, it's like, to the coach of the team, yes. Anything you want, how can we help? Here's the reason I say be home humble. Because it's worst at home. If you can be humble at home, you're humble. Come on, parents. You know this is true. Hey, Dad, can I ask you? Do not interrupt me. Do you know how important my time is? Do not interrupt. Hey, what's up? Oh, no problem. You're not interrupting. Um, Yeah, what's going on? What can I do for you? And our kids are like, (laughs) what just happened there? I'm the parent in this house. I can talk to you in whatever tone I, I, I want. I don't have to respect you, but you have to respect me because I'm more valuable because I'm the parent. That is spiritual immaturity. You are no better than your kid because you're the parent. Now, at my house, um, I do feel passionate about things on occasion. Don't ask my kids. Um And I will feel amped and I will raise my voice when I talk to my kids. That's not the problem. My hope is that even if I raise my voice at my kids, I am not speaking to them disrespectfully or disparagingly. But here's a trip for you parents and you're going to be like, I'm not coming to this church again. (laughs) Here's a trip. In my view, if I feel passionate about something, and I can express my passion by raising my voice to my kids, my kids can do the same when they talk to me. But do not disrespect me, because I'm still, I still pull rank in this house, and I can send you to your room gently, <laughs> but off you go. But to me, this idea that it's like, no! No! My passions are more important than your passions, so if you feel super passionate and super upset, just suck it in and let it explode later when you're an adult and work it out in therapy. (laughs) But you may not be passionate in my presence. It's like, no, you can be passionate. Don't be disrespectful because I don't believe I'm more valuable and I don't think I should live like I'm more valuable than you just because of the rank that I pull. Hey kids, can you guys help me with this project? No! We're busy. We're doing, we have a Fortnite thing to do, and this is not, you know. And then your friend comes over, hey, how can I help? How can I serve you? And your parents are like, I didn't even know you had sweetness in you. Where did that come from? But that's the reality. If you as a teenager feel like, no, I am a teenager, so I know everything. And my thoughts are more important than my parents' thoughts. And so I'm going to speak to them disrespectfully. I'm going to be, you know, that is spiritual immaturity. But I'm telling you, if we can figure out how to speak gently and tenderly, if we can figure out how to be humble and believe my time is not more important than your time and that my pace does not have to dictate how you move, and if we can start to treat each other like that in the places where we feel or with the people from whom we have the least to gain, then I think we will learn something about humility. So we can ask a thousand questions, but the simple one is... Are you home humble? Are you home gentle? Are you home patient? When you're at home or when you're with your roommates, what does it look like? This is not asking for perfect humility. This is asking for consistency in our humility. My maturity is measured by how I treat the people with whom I feel I have the least to lose. How mature are you? Uh, then Paul gives us another marker. Um, we'll talk about this in other weeks, but let's just at least um, start with it. Chapter 4, verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirits through the bond of peace. Because the marker of maturity is this idea of living united. He says, Live united. Yeah, live humble, live united. This is such a powerful command, by the way. Make every effort to live united. Um, I'll tell you why this is such a powerful command. Um, Because he says, keep the unity um, of the Spirit. This is such a striking phrase because... When I look at it, it strikes me that I can only keep something that I already have. And they're the scales again. Um, it's powerful to think that when Jesus went to the cross, that he destroyed, he demolished everything that could have kept us from embracing each other as family, embracing each other as one, and he put it on the scale. Meaning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... Y'all are family. You are united. Whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, hashtag facts, you are united. And he says, therefore, I would urge you to live worthy, to live this out by keeping the unity that Jesus Christ has accomplished. Um... This to me is just an immensely striking thing, especially in our time. And again, Paul is not saying be united. He is saying live united. Live united. And he says you do that through the bond of peace. It's this idea of waging peace. How do we live united? It's this idea of waging peace. Wage. Peace, keep unity by waging peace. There's a glue that keeps this unity Jesus has won together. And that is the idea of working towards peace. Um, waging peace, by the way, is um, it's this idea of obsessing over what we have in common. Obsessing over what we have in common. Um, because the propensity of sin and the propensity of culture is to accentuate what makes us different, is to accentuate what we disagree about. Um, and before you know it, I have beef with you because we've accented differences or we've accented disagreements more than what we have in common. And Paul would say, No, spiritually mature people wage. Peace. Spiritually mature people constantly wage peace. Um, And for us, this is such a huge um, thing because we believe that the world is going to see Jesus most clearly in a church that lives united. Any dream that we are going to live out the mission while we are fragmented, while we are divided, is a myth. If we really want to step into the doors that Jesus is calling us to step into this year, we are going to have to be wagers of peace. We're going to have to be those who are fighting viciously to keep the unity that Jesus Christ has won. We are going to have to be the kinds of people who are saying no to what divides us and yes to what brings us together. This is powerful and so significant. Look at verse 4 and 5. There is one body, it says, and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in awe. I love that because what Paul is saying is you can wage peace. If you can say the above, if you can say verse 4 and 5, nothing should keep us from being at peace. He talks about the church or the body. And the question is, are you part of God's universal family? Yes. For real? Me too. Oh, okay. What about the Holy Spirit? Is the third member of the Godhead, is the Holy Spirit who lives in me, the same spirit that lives in you? Yes, for real. Well, look at that. How about hope? Do you live with a hope of an eternity in the presence of our God? Yes, so do I. No way. For real? How about faith? Is your faith in the finished work of Jesus? Do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? Do you believe that he lived a sinless life? Do you believe that he died for our sin? Do you believe that he rose to offer us life? Yes, I believe that. So your faith is my faith? How about baptism? Do you believe that baptism is an expression of your faith in the person of Jesus Christ? Yes, I believe that. Well, we do it forward. We do it backwards, but you believe baptism? Yeah. How about God, our Father? Is he your dad? Yeah. Is he yours? Yeah. Well, what up, fam? I love what Paul does here. If we embrace what is said in these verses of Scripture, We are united, and there is nothing that should be powerful enough to divide us beyond that. And a spiritually mature person is a person who is figuring out ways to wage peace and focus on the things we have in common versus the things that we may disagree about. And so you may hurt me, but we are still family. And what we have in common is greater than that hurt. And my kids, they they fight, let me just say, like cats and dogs. It is just crazy sometimes. But what's fascinating to me is at the end of the day, none of them say "Then I'm leaving. It's like, no, dad's still our dad, mom's still our mom, you know. We're family. We're not going anywhere. In fact, we pick on each other. But if you pick on one of the siblings, all of a sudden, like, whoa, unity. What just happened just now? And I think kids get it better than we get it. It's like, no, if we are really family, then we will fight for the unity that Jesus Christ has brought about. It is, let me just say this, it is scary in the day in which we live, and I've seen this more in the recent years than I've seen it in years past, but it is just it's completely unacceptable that we have let politics divide us the way they have. In fact, it's a little embarrassing that we have said the affairs of this temporary country are more important than the realities of an eternal kingdom. And I'm willing to divide from you because of how you voted. That is just, by the way, if you are the person who is perpetuating the differences and the distance and the division, that's just a sign of spiritual immaturity. And so what this season has done is I think it's just revealed the level of maturity in the church. The church should be the place where disagreement lives without division. If we agree about verse 4 and 5. I disagree with you. I think you're wrong. I think your candidate's crazy. But we're family, and we would charge the streets together to carry his love to the hurting and the broken. I may struggle with your race, uh, but but, but, uh, not enough to make that more important than his blood that covers both of our skin colors. We may disagree theologically about a number of different things, but we are family because of what Jesus Christ has done. Are you a wager of peace? Because that's a marker of maturity. And I'm just telling you, if we hear from you more about who you disagree with and what's wrong with that person, what's different about this, and that's what you perpetuate, that's a mark of spiritual immaturity. And the mission Jesus is calling us to cannot be sustained if we insist on perpetuating that kind of distance and division. A mature church is a united church. And I promise you, it'll be a church that has Democrats and Republicans and Independents and blacks and whites and Hispanics. And Lord, help us. It'll have Patriots fans in it and everything. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I want to go to a church like that. Where I look across, I'm a little suspect of you because you're a little crazy in how you view this, but we are brother and sister, and we will work it out. And it is that kind of church that our world will not be able to resist. A fragmented and divided world will be blown away by a church full of people who disagree but are still united, fighting for the same cause under the umbrella of the same Savior, under the canopy of the same Father, sitting at the same big dinner table and trying to invite as many other people to join us. There's no way we move out into the mission if we are not Moving towards unity. Team, you guys can come on out to close. Um, And again, when we talk about unity, uh, the dream for this church to me is unity and it's not uniformity. Uniformity to me is a sign of immaturity. If I'm surrounded with people just like me who look like me and think like me and vote like me and worship like me and I like them so I don't have to love them, there's no power in that. The power is in Jesus brought people who had differences and didn't look alike and would typically not sit in the same room. And he said, y'all are family now. Work it out. And there's beauty when we start to process and wage peace. And so I don't know if there are people even in your life right now in the church who you would say, yeah, there's distance and there's division. What does it look like for you to take steps towards waging peace. I don't know what the Spirit is doing in you. I don't know how he's calling you to take a step towards maturity. I know the way he's calling me to start to take steps towards maturity. For many of us, it's at home. We just need to go home and acknowledge, I'm sorry that I've wounded you with my words and that I believe that I'm more important than you because of this. Mom, I'm sorry for the way I've spoken to you because I believe that as a teenager, I just know more than you. That may be the next step you need to take towards maturity. Maybe for some of us it's like, yeah, I've stood at a distance from that race and watch me now. I'm going to take a step towards moving in their direction to embrace unity. For some of us it's like, spirit of the living God, I'm still stuck on the indicatives. There's so many truths that you've spoken over me that I have not believed. I've not believed. Would you do the miracle in my heart of helping me believe the things that you say are true about me and that you're not waiting for me to perform, that you love me before I was even born. I had no chance to impress you. And help me to rest in that and out of that to start to live and move towards eternity. I don't know what he's whispering, what he's doing. But I'll say, whatever it is, say yes. And as we move towards maturity, watch what he does as we move out into the mission. The team's going to lead us in a a song. Um, You can stand if you want, sit if you want. If you're a parent and you need to sneak out to grab your kids, you can do that with family. Um, Feel free to do that. Um, But as the song is being sung, I would encourage... Our elders and small group leaders, please come up front in case somebody wants to pray with you and agree with you and, and just just ask the Spirit what He may want to do in them. So as we sing, if you want to pray with somebody, come on up. Come on up. Mark this moment as we continue to move towards maturity. So Father, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Apart from what we've done, and now what you call us to do because of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Feel free to stand. We're going to sing. Leaders, why don't you come on up?